Um, uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I always wanted to, I always looked forward to like getting out on my own. It wasn't that I was some rebellious kid and I was just eager to get out and sow my oats, you know, whatever that means. Um, but I just really, I'm just really just kind of an independent soul. I was always just had this sense that I was wired to call my own shots and sort of get out. So I was always eager to get out, get to college, so I didn't have to be in at a certain time. I could make my own decisions. And so whenever my father would get wind of, you know, my logic and how I had planned this thing out to achieve this independence and have nobody tell me what to do but myself, he would always say to me in some shape or form, he'd always say, son, there's always going to be somebody telling you what to do. There's always going to be someone telling you what to do, especially, son, if you hope to get married someday. Just understand that there's always going to be someone, somewhere, that's going to be telling you what to do. And what he meant was, is that no matter how old you get, no matter how independent you are, if you live in a civilized society with other people, there's always going to be someone that you have to answer to that you have to answer to. And what he understood at that time that I did and that I now understand is that the best and most functional aspects of human life involve accountability. Systems by which one person has to answer to someone else. Whether it be government, whether it be our family structures, whether it be our businesses, whether it be law enforcement, you name it, the best systems are systems designed to keep each other accountable. And many of you have operated in spaces, whether it be family structures, church structures, workplace environments, where it didn't seem that anybody was in charge. Didn't seem that certain people had to answer to certain other people, and what happened? Chaos ensued, right? That power corrupted, and things got out of hand really, really quickly. Well, the same is true, I think, in our spiritual lives. Our spiritual lives. For those of us who understand how this works, we understand that if we're going to live a life, a successful life with Jesus, as servants of the living God, we have to understand who we answer to, who we're accountable to, and that person is none other than Jesus Christ. I have the privilege this morning of continuing a series that I started last week, a series that we've been calling a Jesus culture. A Jesus culture. And as I said last week, this series is designed to highlight the distinct culture that we've folded our lives into, those of us who, who seek to follow Jesus. The distinct culture that we folded ourselves into as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and for the purpose of us all being on the same page today, we've defined culture as the ways of thinking, living, and behavior that define a group of people. It's a collective mind. It's a sense of right and wrong, the way this culture perceives reality and our definition of self, who we are. Culture is the morals, the habits a mother strives to instill in her children. It is the standards we set and enforce for ourselves and for others. It defines our, uh, our definition of duty, honor, and our character. It is culture, that is, our collective conscience. It's who we are. And culture isn't the stuff you hear talked about all the time, but culture is what you feel. It's the vibe you pick up. It's the things that you observe. It's the way things are. And culture is something that you feel when you walk into a room. Some of you reflected when you walked in, man, it just feels like people like each other around here. There's a warmth here. We work real hard for that culture. But you've gone other places and you just feel like, man, there's something I can't quite 
you know, put my finger on it, but there's something off about this. It's the way people look at each other. It's the way people aren't speaking. All those things are cultural. Maybe you worked in a, uh, a work environment where the culture was really just people didn't turn stuff in in time. People were coming in late. And this wasn't that people were getting together in back rooms talking about these things. It was just how they operated, right? It was just the culture of the place. But we believe, as followers of Jesus, that there is a culture that we live by. There's a set of standards that define who we are. And the architect of those standards, the architect of that collective culture, is none other than the person of Jesus. And we believe that this Jesus culture, should we enfold ourselves into it, should deeply impact every sphere of life. It should impact our social life. It should impact our political worldview. It should inform how we uh, relate one to another. It should control how we spend our resources. It should determine our ethics and our morals. And the list goes on and on and on. And let me just say that I understand that on any given week we have within this room people from different, you know, all across the spectrum of faith. We have in this room, and those who might be listening to us online or whatever, people who are totally committed to Jesus. Listen, they've been convinced that this is the way it goes, and they're thoroughly convinced. We also have among us those who are curious onlookers, those who are kicking tires. They're just checking it out. They're just trying to figure out if this thing is legit. They saw something in somebody and said, listen, I want to see what's to that. We realize that there are people who are seeking today, and we also realize that we have people among us who are unconvinced. They don't believe this. Uh, Perhaps they're sitting in a place of atheism today, and maybe they just came because a cute girl invited them or something, right? Regardless of where you are on the spectrum of faith, I want you to know that you're always, always welcome here, okay? This isn't isn't an exclusive club for Christians, right? No matter where you are on the spectrum of faith, you are welcome here. But we talk about who we are. We talk about where we're headed just in case you want to get on this train because it looks like it's going to a fun place, right? So you're welcome here no matter who you are and where you are on the spectrum of faith. Now, last week, we began this series by talking about the starting point of all this interesting culture that we've enfolded ourselves in, and we started by talking about a culture of humility. We talked about that being the starting point. And we looked at a passage in Matthew chapter 5, and we zeroed in on Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, which says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, we went to great lengths last week to define what poor means, and we discussed that it didn't mean natural poverty or poverty in a wealth uh, sense, but it meant uh, a poverty of the spirit. Those who realize that they're spiritually destitute and that there's nothing that they can do for themselves to grant them rightness with God or eternal life, that they have to completely come to the realization that apart from God, life just doesn't work. Apart from God, there's no way we can inherit the kingdom and live the good life that Scripture promises us. We talked about poverty of spirit. We talked about the need to empty ourselves. We talked about this dependence that we need to have on Jesus in order for life to work. And this week, we'll continue this series on Jesus' culture by talking about accountability. And to be accountable simply means you're expected to justify your actions or your decision. Simply put, accountability simply means that you answer to someone other than yourself. 
And it's important as we lay this out today that we understand that in this Jesus culture, this is a culture of accountability, a culture where your decisions matter and your choices matter and how you relate to the world around you deeply matters. And we hope to illustrate that through scripture today. We'll be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 25. You can turn there in your Bibles because I know, I know you brought your Bibles with you today. If you didn't bring your Bibles with you, that, by the way, uh, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Um, you can use those as well. If you don't have a Bible at home or one that you can understand, feel free to take one of those home as a gift from us to you. You can keep that. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens in front of us. We're talking about a culture of accountability. Matthew chapter 25. We'll start at verse 14, but before we begin today, let me pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you. God, we've gathered here to worship you. We've gathered here, Lord, to hear what you might speak to us today. And Father, I pray that you would just limit distractions this morning. God, I know that what you have to say today is foundational to the faith. It's one of the distinguishing marks, distinguishing characteristics, Lord. And I know the enemy would love nothing more than to distract us and to get us focused on something else today. So, Lord, I just pray that you would bring us all in to center us around your cause today and your mission today so that your truth might reign supreme in our hearts today. Father, I pray that you would move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. God, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start this morning at verse 14. I'll read. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account, to give an account, to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, 
Even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like a pleasant place, doesn't it? Well, this is yet another story that Jesus told. And for those of you who've been following scripture, who are familiar with the scripture, and particularly familiar with the life and the methods of teaching of Jesus, you know that he often used stories. You might also know that Jesus was a really, really good storyteller. Really good storyteller. And I, what I've observed is that when you hear a good story or when you expect to hear a good story, there's something natural about it. You just kind of lean in. You just kind of lean in. Especially if it's a story that you're not really supposed to hear, if it's like some juicy gossip and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? It's almost your body just almost... No, I didn't hear about it. Tell me about that. You just sort of lean in, right? And I think that's the goal of today. As I'm telling this story, actually I'm relating this story to you, I just expect that you would just lean in a little bit. Can we just do that real quick? Just to, can you just lean in a little bit? Yeah, that's, that's good. I wish that you would do that every week when I get up here to preach. But more than leaning your physical bodies in today, I want, us to, I want our hearts to lean in to, to this today because this is foundational truth for us. This story, excuse me, this story that Jesus tells, and I'll relate to you today and unpack for you today, is foundational. And to understand this story, particularly what this story gets at, will, is a game changer. It's, it's absolutely a game changer. So I want our hearts to lean in and pay close attention because this is one of Jesus' famous parables that he used to help us understand the kingdom of God. And one of the things that is hard to ignore in the opening few verses of this passage is the opening line of this parable. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Now, whenever you hear Jesus says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like this or can be demonstrated like this or is like unto this, what you ought to do is get to the edge of your seat because you're about to hear something that's really important really informational, really something foundational to your understanding of who Jesus is and how his kingdom works. And I always find it necessary to to explain what the kingdom of God is because it's, one, because it's so central to who we are as followers of Jesus, but it's just one of those basic things that we really need to understand when we talk about scripture. It's important to understand that the kingdom of God is not a sort of geographical place, can't get any coordinates on a map, It's not a political sort of sphere of anything, but basically what the kingdom of God is, is it's often referred to as a a dynamic realm. And within that realm, Christ is king. And basically what I mean is when you surrender your heart to Jesus, when you come into the faith, it's not like you have to move to some other town where God's in charge there, right? But realistically what happens is you just surrender your heart, you surrender your life to the lordship and the rulership of Jesus. And therefore, you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's that simple. It's that simple. And so Jesus comes to these guys and says, listen, the kingdom of heaven can be described this way. The kingdom of God works this way. And as he begins to unpack this story, we meet some interesting characters. We meet the man that goes on the long trip, and we meet the servants. Now, it's important to, to understand who these characters are, who they represent in real life. The man represents Jesus. And the servants represent us, right? The servants represent us. 
So this guy goes on a long trip, and before he goes, he calls these three servants together, and he gives them, according to the text, bags of silver. Bags of silver. Now, these bags of silver represent talents. In fact, another translation might even say talents or gifts from God. Other translations actually refer to them as talents. And these talents should be understood as all the gifts that God gives you to be you. All the stuff that God endows you with to be who he's divinely called you to be. Now, the problem is we want what God has given somebody else because we don't understand who we are. We don't know who we are. We don't understand, nor do we appreciate that God had an intentional purpose and plan for our lives. So therefore, we go looking over the fence trying to figure out what the Joneses have. Forget about the Joneses. God has given you specific gifts. He's given you specific talents. He's given you specific abilities to be who he's called you to be in the place that he's called you to be that at, right? So this is what these bags of silver represent, these gifts from God, abilities, advantages, relationships, knowledge, platforms, influence. These are gifts from God. And so he divided them, these bags of silver, these valuables, these talents, he divided them among the servants. Verse 14 says he's called them together and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it, get this, in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. Now we see that this guy divides up these talents and gives them out. And we notice that he just doesn't pour all the stuff out on the table and just sort of divide it equally. Okay, you get this share. Here's an equal share for you. And here's an equal share for you. We really like equal shares in this country, don't we? We're really drawn to that. I grew up in a house with lots of siblings. And so whenever somebody was dividing up the snacks, everybody had an eagle eye on it. You better not get one Skittle more than me, otherwise I'm telling you. I mean, we're wired that way. We want, this pile looks bigger than mine. Shake those out so we can count them, right? And so it's important that we look at this and we understand that Jesus didn't say, okay, let's put this on a scale. Okay, you get this and you get this and you get this. The scripture tells us that he divides it in proportion to their abilities. Now, this goes back to this whole purposeful design. This God's very purposeful. He's very strategic. He knows who you are. He knows what you can handle. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're capable of. He knows your weaknesses, your frailties. And as such, he gives you stuff according to what he knows you can work with. And so if you hadn't received all that you wish to have received, don't get mad at God. You ought to thank him because he's setting you up for success rather than failure. So he divides this up, up according in proportion to their abilities. And I think whenever we start thinking about this, God giving us what we need according to our abilities, we've got to understand something before we get angry at God. We've got to understand something before we take an attitude with him. That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And God can do with his stuff what he wills. That it's all his. It's all his. And he can distribute it as he wishes, not to mention he's purposeful in what he doles out. He divides it in proportion to their abilities. And then he leaves on his trip. Now, with this story and others like it, Jesus is making clear distinctions. Clear distinctions. Clear distinctions between two types 
of people than if you've lived more than 10 years on this earth, right? You're probably coming to realize that there's really only two kinds of people in this world. Only really two. It doesn't really matter what area of life we're talking about, but if you've lived long enough, you come to realize there's only two types of people. There are the folks who do what they're supposed to do, and there are folks that don't. This side doesn't get it. There's two types of people. There are people who do what they're supposed to do, even when nobody's watching. And there are people that don't. This plays out in every sphere of life. Plays out at home, doesn't it? Anybody else grow up with siblings? One sister or brother, you know, they know their chores, what they're supposed to do. They know what they're supposed to get cleaned up. They know they're supposed to have the homework done. They know what time they're supposed to be in the house. But there's always at least one, and they usually fall somewhere in the middle of the, you know, the age range that's always pushing the envelope. Doesn't quite get why they need to be in at a certain time. Doesn't quite get why they can't leave that pot just soaking for weeks. And we've seen this at home. Some people get it and some people don't. We've seen this at school, right? Some of you students here, you're in high school, grade school, some of you in college, you see this. You know, some people are there five minutes before the bell rings. They got their assignments. They have their supplies, you know. And then there's the joker that's, oh, he always needs a pencil. <laughs> he always needs a paper. Comes to class, no backpack, no nothing. But, like, maybe like a pop or something. <laughs> and he's always asking you for, let me get a sheet of paper, man. Let me, let me have a pencil. Let me see, let me see the assignment. What, what page are we on, right? There's always somebody in that sphere. And then there's a, a, at work. Somebody knows this at work. There's always, there's always people who are on it. They meet the deadlines, you know. They keep the break room clean. You know, they print on the right printer. They're at work on time. And then there's always, there's always the, the slackers. They're never coming in on time, eating everybody's food out of the break room. And, like, telling you how delicious it was. You know, there's basil in there. That was good. Like, man, that was my sandwich. But at work, you have people like this. You have people like this in traffic. Somebody's obeying their, their speed limit. They're using their signal. That, I mean, and then there's a joker that speeding is going 70 into 30 and arguing with the police officer. There's people in every sphere of life who do what they are supposed to do and those that don't do what they're supposed to do. And the difference between these two kinds of people is this. The one person believes that his or her actions don't really matter that much. The disposition is, what's the big deal? What's the big deal if I'm going 70 in a 20? I know this is a school zone, but I don't really see any kids around. I mean, I'm late. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. Or that child that's always pushing the envelope. You said be home at 7, they're home at 8.30. They think, what's the big deal? What's, what's an hour and a half? I was just having fun. I was having a good time. I, 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 was, I texted you. And the list can go on and on and on. These folks don't get it. They don't get that their actions matter and that they impact other people and that there's a domino effect to the choices that they make. Now, the people who get this, the people who do what they're supposed to be, that are where they're supposed to be, they understand that their actions in the grand scheme really, really matter. 
And that child that comes home on time understands that if they're an hour and a half late, then that's an hour and a half of worry and panic. You've called all the neighbors, and you've ignored the other three children because you're wondering where this one is. They they understand that their actions have deep impact. Other team members understand if they don't show up for work, and if they don't do their part, then that's going to burden somebody else. They get that their actions, their choices, if they're pulling their own weight, they get that it really matters. And if there's one thing that Jesus is trying to drive home in this passage, it's this. It really, 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 really matters how you live your life. It really matters how you live your life. It really matters the decisions that you make. It matters how you spend your money. It matters what you do with your body and your sexuality. It matters who you marry. It matters what church you go to. It really, really matters how you live your life. It matters what you do with what you've been given. How you steward the talents, the bags of silver. It really, really matters. I think it's also helpful for all of us to understand that Jesus is really never asking us to initiate anything. And that might be a big statement for some of you to, 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 to wrap your minds around because within the context of Scripture, the Bible asks a lot of us. Jesus asks a lot of us. But you never find Jesus asking us to initiate anything. Everything he asks us to do is in response to what he's already done. When he says, repent and believe upon me, he's asking us to do that in response to the love that he has for us and the life that was poured out on the cross through his son, Jesus. In the same way, in this passage, when he asks us to be good stewards of the resource that he's given us, he's asking us to respond to his endowment. And so everything that God asks us to do is in response to what he's already initiated. And God wants us to choose well. He wants us to make good decisions. He wants us to invest and work well with what he's given us in response to the great gifts that he's poured out. And in this store, we see these two types of folks, those who get it and those who don't, those who do and those who don't. The Bible uses words like the faithful and the unfaithful, the faithful and the unfaithful. And so this master comes back and he's interested in how they stewarded the resource that was given. And we see that these guys are divided neatly into two piles. First, the faithful. Verse 19, after a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account. He called them to give an account. He called them to answer for how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had, been, had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. In other words, says, listen, let's go and party. Let's go party, and we're going to party with the good stuff. The good stuff, because he was full of praise. Now, let's just see how he responds to the other faithful servant. Now, remember, this other servant was given only two. Let's see what happens. Verse 22, the servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate 
together. Now, if you notice, if you look at verse 23 and if you look at verse 21, it's exactly the same. And I think when they were putting this together, they didn't type this over. They probably just cut, copied and pasted because it was the same. And it wasn't like and you would think in our society that rewards great accomplishments with great celebrations and small accomplishments with small celebrations. You would think in God's economy, he would say to the guy that doubled five, listen, man, let's go party. You go to the VIP room where the good stuff, we're going to celebrate with the good stuff. And to the guy who just you know, doubled two, listen, just go and maybe get a juice box out of the cooler over there. I'll be over there in a second. You can see yourself out, right? Not in God's economy. Because when God sees faithfulness, he responds to it. Wherever God sees faithfulness, he responds to it. Wherever he sees faithfulness, faithful stewardship, he celebrates in the same way. In the same way. And so we understand that God responds to and he honors faithfulness because that's what he's called us to do. That's all he's asked us to do. Well, listen, work with what I gave you. Invest what I gave you. Steward what I gave you. And when you do that, when you come back and there's fruitfulness, then let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. And then there's this other joker. And on the other side of the line, there's the unfaithful. The guy who just, he took it easy. Well, let's see how this goes. Verse 24, then the servant with the one bag of silver. Interestingly enough, he's been given less, right? He's been given less for good reason. Perhaps the Lord knew what he would do with it. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Here's your money back. And maybe somehow he thought that that would do. Somehow he thought that that would be okay. But the issue with this guy is he did absolutely nothing. He was given, listen, you had one job. You had one talent. You had one talent. And the master was upset with this guy, thoroughly upset with this guy because he did nothing. He did nothing. And what he failed to understand was that this whole deal about these talents and doing something with it, investing it, this whole, ta- this whole idea was not about here, let me give you something to have and you do with it what you want. It's not how this works. Nor is that how our, our life works with Jesus. This is a matter of stewardship. That's a nice biblical word, right? And I, often, I feel the need to talk about stewardship a lot because I don't think we understand it. I used to think stewardship meant you take some stuff that belongs to you and you make good decisions with it. Be a good steward of your time. Be a good steward of your resource. We heard that over and over and over and over again. But stewardship is not doing good stuff with your stuff. Stewardship is managing somebody else's stuff well. And what this guy didn't understand, it was really, wasn't really up to him what he would do with this. The master expected that he would do something with this resource. He shouldn't have chosen not to do anything with it because it wasn't his to decide with. The same is true in our own life. God has given you resources, gifts, relationships to steward, to look after, to make good choices with, to be fruitful with. Listen, everything that I own, man, in my more sober moments, I realized, Lord, I just, this, this has been loaned to me. And you gave me a beautiful wife to help, you know, me do this life, but this, this woman doesn't belong to me. This is your daughter, and I better take care of her. Lord, you gave me three beautiful sons that I love deeply. These boys aren't mine. This, listen, these are yours. 
I don't know about you, but I'm more careful with stuff that doesn't belong to me that's in my possession. I may throw my stuff around. I may leave it lying across the floor, but you loan me something that's yours. I, I'm going to take care of it because you're going to come looking for that. And you want to find it in the same condition or better condition than you gave it to me. And this is the understanding how the kingdom of God works. This is the understanding of how, what God expects from us, man. He expects us to do something with what he's given us, to be fruitful, to multiply this stuff. But this guy doesn't get it. And in fact, the first words out of his mouth were excuses. Excuses. Just babbling on about just meaningless things. And what he should have said was, listen, I've been napping while you were away. I've been doing nothing while you're away. Shame on me. I had plenty of opportunities to do something with it. I couldn't complain that you gave that guy more. Uh, listen, I should have just got to work with what you, what you gave me, and I, and I didn't. I didn't. And maybe this guy doubted that the master would come back and call for an account. Maybe he didn't take seriously that the time would come where the master would draw near and demand an account of what he'd done with the resource. And so the master responds sharply to this guy. You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops, I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. Since you did nothing with it, it's going to be taken away from you. Since you did nothing with it, you're going to have nothing. And guess where that goes? It went to the guy who did something with it. And I just, just as an aside, sometimes we see people who, who, who are just flourishing. They're growing fruit on every branch of their life, and you look at them suspiciously. You look at them with jealousy and envy, but you don't realize that they've been to work. They got to work. They've been doing something. And while you were napping, while you were burying your gifts, they've been saying no to something so they can do what God has called them to do. And you see their fruitfulness and you feel just like maybe they were just a trust fund baby. <laughs> and somebody handed them that stuff. But I often look at fruitful people and I look at unfruitful people and usually, usually, not always, there's a direct correlation to their understanding that God expects them to do something with what they've been giving, even if it's just a little bit. Even if it's just a little bit, and Jesus calls these guys wicked and lazy. Wicked and lazy. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like an overreaction. It seems like an overreaction. No, it's just one talent. And if the pattern holds, you would have just got one more for it, right? I mean, just, just one more. You just out one talent, really. But this story illustrates that Jesus takes seriously our understanding of our job, of our job. And it drives home this idea that all God expects from us is to do our job. And our job is to be good stewards, to do something with what he's given us and how he's endowed us. So what's the big picture? How do we put this all together? What does this illustrate? What this illustrates is that Jesus is watching what we're doing. And it matters that somebody's watching. It really does. It especially matters that that someone is Jesus, right? It really matters. 
And some of us, we just work a little bit better. We're a little bit more efficient when the boss is in the building, right? Now, some of you, not the real holy saints on this side, but some of us, you know, when the boss is out, you know, just lunch, you're supposed to have 45-minute lunch, and all of a sudden, you've gone down to the steakhouse, and you, you know, it's two, three hours, and some of you say, yeah, I'm just going to call it. I'm just going to go home from here, right? You're on Facebook. You're printing on a good printer, you know, you, when, the, when the boss is out. But, you know, productivity goes way up when the boss is in the house, doesn't it? Goes way up. And so I just feel like there just needs to be an awareness that the boss is in. And not only is he in, he's, he's interested. He's watching. He's watching. And he cares deeply about what we do and how we choose and how we decide, specifically how we steward this resource. Not just because he's a shrewd manager and because he's, you know, pinching pennies, but he knows that the fruitfulness and the degree which, which we experience and live the good life depends on how well we understand what our life is about and what we're supposed to be doing. It's something that greatly benefits us when we're working in the vineyard doing God's work. It's something that brings freedom in us when we're at work in the vineyard. There's something that brings tranquility and peace and fruitfulness and brings glory and honor to God when we're working. There's something that provides solutions for other people and help to other people when we show up for work and we do what we're supposed to do. There's something about understanding that the boss is in. I think this also illustrates the day of final judgment. Now, you could go a long time being a Christian and not have somebody remind you that there will come a day where you will have to give an account for how you lived. I, I, I don't want it to be said of this church that you went so many weeks without hearing that there will come a day when you will stand before your creator and you will give an account for how you lived this life. You will give an account for how you treated that woman that God gave you. You give an account for how you treated that man that God gave you. You will give an account for how you raised those kids. You will give an account for how you spent every dollar of your resource. And you will give an account for how you spend every second of your time. You will give an account for how you treat people, not just the people who can do something for you or can open doors for you or make stuff happen for you. You will give an account for how you treated the person who could do nothing for you. You will give an account for how you treated the person who was already under the boot of life. You will give an account for all of that stuff. You will give an account for how you stewarded your influence. Because you realize at a young age that when you said stuff, people listened. And when you admonished people, they did it. And you will give an account for whether or not you used that for good or whether you used it for selfish purposes. You will give an account for every talent or gift that you've decided to either use for the kingdom of God and to bless other people or you selfishly warehoused for yourself. You will give an account. It's not to scare you. It's to make you aware. You will give an account for how you used all of who you were to benefit the people in the kingdom of God. You will give an account for that. I don't want you to leave here not knowing that. Now, if that makes your, your heart sink a bit, then we've accomplished our goal today. <laughs> we've accomplished our goal today. 
But this story illustrates that Jesus is watching and that one day we'll have to stand before him and give an account. So you say, so preacher, give me some steps. Tell me how, how, how to get on the right track here. How do I understand this? How do I work this out? How do I work this out? I'll give you a couple things, two things. The first thing you need to do is you need to take inventory. Somebody say, take inventory. That's happy you said it. Let's say, take inventory. Take inventory. Listen, how do you know what you need to make a return on if you don't know what it is? How do you know what you need to multiply if you don't have a firm understanding of what you've started with? And so I think that it's important for us to just sit down. Maybe you need a piece of paper. Maybe you need to take a long walk or something. We say, well, what is God giving me? What is God giving me? Maybe in your small groups, you go over that and you talk about it with your, with your small group mates and just sort of work that out and come up with the list. Now, some of us might think it uh, uh, lacking humility to discuss the gifts that God has given us, to work out the talents that God has given us. But let's set that false humility aside for a second because we need to know what we're working with. We need to know what we're supposed to be investing and what we're supposed to be doubling and being fruitful with. And so oftentimes, I have to take inventory of the things that God has given me. And when I sit down and I survey it, I am blown away at how much God has given me. I'm blown away at how good God has given me. I'm blown away at the gifts and talents that God has given me, the ability to play multiple instruments and to be a quick study as it relates to music. Blown away that God would trust me with influence, that I could speak to people and share his truth with them and have them transform their life and, and be a leader, just sort of natural leader. Blown away that God would bless me with a beautiful wife and kids, that God would bless me with all this stuff. And I really have two choices. As I look and I survey all this and I just look around the warehouse and I say, man, God has given me a lot. And I could just sort of rock back on my heels and, you know, pop my suspenders if I were to wear suspenders and just say, man, I've got some good stuff here. This is all right. This is all right. But I think the proper response is to understand that God has given me much. So the expectation is much. Now, since God has given me influence, then I need to use that influence to draw people closer to Jesus. That since God has given me boys, that I need to steward the, their lives in the right way. And I understand that these boys are not just my own, but soon I will dispatch them into the world. And to the degree that I choose to steward them well, I can make life harder or easier for police officers. No, this is not, this is, this is serious. I can make their classroom be more efficient or less efficient, depending on what I do with their life. So you think it's a joke when your kid doesn't listen to you. You think it's a joke when they tell you no, and they're disrespectful. But they don't listen to you, they probably won't listen to their teacher. If they're not listening to their teachers, then that teacher's gonna do less teaching. And it's not cute, it's not funny, do your job. Now, I know there's all sorts of circumstances and all sorts of stuff that's going on, but I, listen, this is stewardship. That kid doesn't belong to you. He's God's. And his life's going to be harder if he doesn't understand no. His life's going to be harder, her life's going to be harder if she doesn't understand where the edge of life is. Because she's going to fall off. Or she's going to push somebody else off. 
So I, I got this beautiful gift. I got these. I got to do something with them. I got to do something with them. I got these talents, these abilities. I got to use it to help people. I got to use it to make somebody's life better. I got to use it to bring glory to God. But I can't do that if I don't take inventory. And I see a lot of people, man, with low self-esteem and low self-worth, and I just start talking to them and befriending them, and I get a chance to look around the warehouse of their life. I go, you must not know all this stuff is here. You must not know that God gave you that, he gave you that, he gave you that. Listen, look around. And this is your homework for this week, to take inventory, to actually make a list of what God has given you. And some of you, it'll lift your spirits. Some of you, you'll be refreshed in who God made you and what he's given you. And the natural response to taking inventory is to invest. Somebody say invest. Invest. And worship team, you can come up. It would be a shame to be blessed with much or even little and to do nothing with it. And some of you would, if you were honest today, you would say, listen, God has given me something to work with and I've done nothing with it. Some of you would reflect that you're just, you're just a lazy person. And that's not to belittle you. That's not to sort of joke about you. But you just, you, you just lack motivation. And some of us came by that lack of motivation quite honestly because the people that raised us and the, the examples that we saw lacked motivation. They didn't have any drive. They weren't even pointing toward anything. So they just sort of floated down the lazy river of life. And that, that's what you're doing. Well, I think this transformational word that you're hearing today is challenging that and causing you to go against the grain of this thing and invest what God has given you. Others of you struggle to invest, struggle to do something with what God has given you because you don't understand what you have. The enemy has sort of imparted all these false narratives and tells you you're something other than what God has called you to be. That you're somebody other than what God has called you to be and today, I just my prayer is that you would hear the word of the Lord today. That you are a person made in this likeness of in an image of much worth and value. My prayer for you today is that God's voice and his prescription and his, his, his value that he assigns to your life would be more meaningful and ring truer than any other voice, including your own. And once we get over that hurdle, we will begin to invest and do something with what God has given us because this Jesus culture is a culture of accountability. Accountability. The master cares, and there will come a day where we will have to give an account. My prayer is that you will invest what God has given you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you don't call us to initiate anything in this. That everything you ask us to do is to respond you call us to respond to what you've already done. God, you just you kick this thing off. You, you get it started for us. You get it rolling. You really make things quite simple for us. And so, Father, our prayer today is that we would respond in faith to what you call us to. The Lord, that we would take inventory of all the things that you've given us, who you've called us to be, what you've made us. And as we take inventory of that, Lord, we won't be lazy, we won't be complacent. But, Father, we will invest that for the greater glory of God and for the well-being of other people. For the greater glory of God and for the well-being of other people. God, call us to action. 
Help us to respond. God, give us a clean slate. Let us start new today. Let us be changed by your word and your truth. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.